0: (laughs) You don't want me drinking coffee. Well, it's New Year's, 2022. Congratulations, we made it. Yeah, it's a new year. Another day that we all woke up to, which is awesome. So what if I told you that 2022 was the year that you were going to lose more friends? Would that sound exciting? No, it really wouldn't. In fact, have you ever lost a friend based on who you were friends with Because of who you were friends with, like where someone chose the other friend, has that ever happened to you? About fifteen years ago, twelve years ago, actually, it was it was a pretty tough situation. A mentor in my life that meant a lot to me, and there was an issue between me and this other individual. And he he basically came to me. My mentor came to me and said, "Hey, Brent, I'm really sorry about this, but because of my role and my relationship with this other individual, I need to distance myself from you." And that was extremely painful, and I. I didn't agree with his tactics, but he had said, like, in this situation, this is what I need to do. And since we've had many conversations, it's been great. But, but that was a really hard, hard reality. And I don't know if you've ever lost a friend based on someone that you were friends with, like, because of someone else. Has that ever happened to any of you where you've, like, because you've, like, this? Maybe it's a relationship, you know, like, where when a dating relationship ends, you're like, oh, who gets who in the friendship, right? Like, they kind of go separate ways. It's an incredibly painful thing. Derek brilliantly covered chapter at the beginning of some of this text before here in chapter fifteen a couple of weeks ago. I encourage you to go back to listen to it, and he talked about friendship and he talked about this idea that Jesus, in in all the titles he could have given us and all the titles he had rightfully available to us, he he called us friends and he, he chose us as friends. And Derek just brilliantly covered that. I would again encourage you to go back and listen to that, but one of the, the kind of the ancillary points, one of the things that comes with friendship with Jesus is that it actually ends up meaning that you lose friendships because of Jesus. In fact, James 4.4 4 says it this way. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Um, we tend to just kind of teach through the scripture as we go. We're in, we're, we've are been gone, gospel John now for about a year and we're going to keep going through it. One of the disservices to doing this is that sometimes you hit us text and you, you end up breaking up a text that like you get one side of the story and the rest of it comes the other week. And so my encouragement would be is if you've ever kind of, if you've been going through this with us and you miss a week, my encouragement would be go back and listen to the podcast, catch up and, and also regardless of whether or not you're here to be reading the scripture every week because if you just take in parts you're taking it dangerously fragmented in inevitably what ends up happening is we get something like this like yeah it's 2022 and we get a really big downer of a week I just, i'm just going to call it what it is this is a really hard text to swallow it's a hard text to realize but it's it's the scripture and therefore we will teach it the really cool thing is is if you can come the next couple of weeks it's really uplifting and it's kind of ties together and it's meant to kind of be read in one sitting and so the downside to kind of doing this every week is that we, we break up that which was meant to be read in one sitting and taken in, in context. And so so this week, I'm I just going to call it what it is. It's a really tough set of scripture to, just to stomach, to swallow, to, to work through. And um, my hope would be that as you wrestle with this today, the Lord would convict your heart and the Spirit would do a mighty work in you, recognizing that even if it is difficult, there is beautiful promises in the midst of it. Some of the biggest struggles that we have with God is, I think, based on this promise here that He gives His disciples. If you remember, we've been in this long monologue section of Jesus where He's just about to go to the cross and He's trying to encourage His disciples. It's just 11 in the upper room and they're working the way to Garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's trying to leave them with the last bit of truth. And so it says things like Derek talked a couple of weeks ago, like, You're my friend. And He has promises of the, of the Paraclete or the Holy Spirit, which actually in this text and we'll spend the next couple weeks talking about as well but he's trying to encourage his disciples also while in god's brilliance and beauty and wonder he's he's preserved this word for us so thousands of years later this is now an encouragement to us and so this section of, of scripture comes out with this like hey i if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you like we don't even let our kids use the word hate at home like it's, it's such a harsh word but jesus does not hold punches and he starts and says look First off, in verse, verse 19, we see it this way. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. What is he saying here? He's saying, Christians, we do not belong to the world. We were of the world, but God has, in his love, chosen us out of, it. he's brought us to him in grace and goodness. and Now we experience life as someone who is not of the world, but we are in this world. And so he's saying, look, if, if you were of this world still, the world would love you. But because you're not, now you're you're an alien. You're, you're other than. You're, you, you serve a king who is not who is not of this world. That means that the the, the systems and the, the, the part of the life and the, and the and the world that we live in today is in, in opposition to those who claim Christ. This is why I think these last two years have been so difficult for the church. Because of our misunderstanding of what this text means. Our theology and our understanding of who God has got so woven into the fabric of the world that when the world system disagreed with christ or when christ disagrees with the world system we are left at a crossroad do we go with the flow of the stream where everyone is excited in our politics and everything just fits neatly into this world system or do we let ourselves stand in opposition made an enemy of the world and and stand in christ and that's that's what we've seen over the last two years so jesus is telling me he's like look guys you're not even of this world you're not of this world. In fact, I have chosen you. I've plucked you out. You are now under my kingdom, my lordship, my rule. Until I come back after this time I leave, you're going to deal with the fact that you just don't fit in. Square peg, round hole, no matter what you do, no matter how life goes, you won't fit in. That means practicality for us. You will lose friendships because of faith in Jesus. That means you'll miss out on promotions or job opportunities because of your faithfulness to hold to true character, not character that the world may be doing. You won't get the promotion because you refuse to be shady. You'll lose income and money because you refuse to live on that which isn't yours anyways. Your time will be taken because it's used to serve a king whom you are surrendered to. This has everyday implications of our life. And Jesus, in his amazing wisdom and grace, is coming to his disciples and says, look, 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 they hated me. They're going to hate you. It's just a matter of, of time. It's just a matter of, of when. It's just a matter of those two expectations colliding and re- people recognizing, like, are you going to follow the Lord or are you going to follow the world? There is no both and. You can't do both. You serve the Lord or you follow the world. The world in John, the Gospel of John, is predominantly kind of refers to the created moral order of active rebellion against God. So there's lots of different words for the world. It's like the globe and, and all different things. Predominantly when, Jesus, when, when John is using world, most often he's talking about the world that is an active rebellion against God, people that are evil. And he says in verse 4 of chapter 16, he says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. See, what is he doing? I've, I've said these things to you. So that when they happen, you can, you can be emboldened and strengthened and know that regardless of what happens, regardless of how difficult it is, you'll be like, oh my God, my God told me this. Jesus mentioned this would happen and it's happening the same way that he's saying. In fact, we know from history, it doesn't take long. Jesus is gone and it's not long before Saul of Tarsus or the apostle Paul as we know him shows up and starts really persecuting the church. Every one of these disciples from history, we find other than John, the one that wrote this one, he's exiled to an island. But every other one of them that we know is martyred, starting with Jesus' brother first. They die for following Jesus. They give their life for following Jesus. Now, a text like this is interesting for us, especially sitting here in, in kind of cozy, comfortable America. We, we don't experience, we don't wake up and, and choose, do we have to follow Jesus or keep our life? we have to follow Jesus or watch our child die? Like those, those situations are not put in front of us, but our brothers and sisters right now are experiencing that all over the world. It is, a, it is a moment choice. Do I denounce Christ or do I let my life end? And Jesus says, look, you shouldn't be shocked by that. And what's even more shocking, if you look at the time when Jesus is saying this, Jesus is saying, look, what's gonna happen to you is the same thing that happens to me. And he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. They haven't seen him be crucified yet and experienced that atrocious beating that he did over and over. And he says, hey, you should expect this. In fact, the way he tells them to expect it is based off of a word that he had spoken to him just a little bit ago in the upper, upper room. A servant is not greater than his master. Do just as I have done after you wash the disciples' feet. He goes, this is what I'm telling you. Like you guys, verse 20, I'm not, a servant is not greater than his master. So if they did this to the master, of course they're gonna do it to the servants. So don't be surprised. Don't be perplexed. It's going to be hard. He told them this ahead of time. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us this. Indeed, all who desire, not some, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. Church, we need need to hear this. See, because the last two years, life got difficult for us, and I've watched way too many Christians just run, just give up, wallow or, or hide in fear. And he's saying right here, no, 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 no. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus says in verse 18, they hated you. But the reason why they hate you is because of me, because of my name. In, in, in the scripture, when he says the name, it's not just Jesus. It's, it's all encompassing of the person. So they hate my name. And he goes on and says in, in, in the rest of 20, he's like, they hate me. They hate my father. And the reason why they hate me is because they don't recognize my father. And what's crazy is he goes into 16 verse two and he says, they're gonna do these things based on their belief that they're doing them for God. Oh man, the church has made a really big mess of that for a long time, doing things in the name of God. They're completely contrary to the character and person of Jesus Christ. He says, this is gonna be hard. It's gonna be so difficult. You're gonna be persecuted. You're gonna be kicked out of the synagogues. They're gonna take your life. And they're going to think they're doing it because of God. He says, and I'm, I'm headed to God. And they're, they're mad at you because of me. They're going to not be your friend because you're friends with me. They're going to hate you because they hate me. And he doesn't hold anything. He says, but don't worry, you know, lots of them will be nice. He doesn't He doesn't, he doesn't give us the out. The only out he gives us is, hey, don't worry, I'm sending the helper. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the Holy Spirit and his role. And it's beautiful. That's wonderful, but don't push on because I think too many of us squirm out of this tension of wait, it's really hard? Yeah, it's hard because you're a square peg in a round hole. Because you're an alien without rights in this world, because you have rights as co heir in the kingdom of God. Because it is not on earth as it is in heaven already. We're in between. It's going to be hard. A couple of verses need to be explained in this text uh, verses 22. Uh, verse twenty two says this: It says, "If I had come and and if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin." What he's not saying here, there's a lot of. And Derek covered the if then idea and sense, and I'll let you go back and listen to that too. But what he's not saying here is he's not saying that the, he's speaking specifically to the Jewish people. Here. He's not saying that they were without sin. He's saying now they're without any chance of justification because they've they've rejected the true revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, look, this is, this is worse. It's one thing to be that they kept failing in the law. Now the law, the word became flesh, and, and all of the law, not just the Torah, but all of the law is what convicts them. That's what he goes on down and says. He says, look, they, they, they do this because they believe it's their law, but actually it's their law that convicts them of this. Psalm 69 is the quote he's talking about. Like They do it without cause. They have no reason to do this. And so what he's saying, he's saying, look, by me coming and speaking to them, Jesus has incited the most central and controlling of sins, rejection of God's gracious revelation, rebellion against God, decisive preference for darkness rather than light, as one scholar says. Their hatred of him is outright rejection of God. It's based by Jesus even saying, my father, we are one. We've been talking about this on repeat since the beginning of John. Their rejection of, there is no rejection of Jesus in safety with God. Another verse that needs to be described here and explained, we've done this a few times in John because um, of the way it's read is verse 16, one says, I have said all these things to you um, to keep you from falling away. And that's one kind of big compound Greek word that um, can be trump like translated stumble, which is some of your translations may say, but ultimately it really is um, instead of a trip up idea, it's, it's more of a, a trap that's ready to spring at any moment without notice, like you're going to get there. And, and this is a, this is an interesting tension because it's like wait a second are, at any moment I could be walking and step in the wrong hole and fall and die and I'm, I'm not going to be following the Lord anymore. Again, we've talked about this a few times in John, especially at the beginning of chapter fifteen with the vine. You can go back and listen there. Even John himself gives an out for why this happens, but I think this is a very stern warning that we have to understand. That is that I don't want to push past for a second. So just hear me on this. All over the scriptures, all over Jesus speaking. The, the author of Hebrews, we see in John, a ton in First John. All of it talks about not starting the race, but finishing the race. It always talks about perseverance. There's, there's no medal for, hey, I started the race. I made some confession at 15 and then lived my life for myself the rest of my life. There's no reward for that. What he talks about is persevering to the end. Those who are his will persevere to the end. Why? Not because we're awesome and persistent and stubborn, but because the Holy Spirit is in us, enabling us to do so. But John says, look, there's, there's many people that will think they're following God. And when it gets hard, this is when they'll squirm. And and like I said, as, as as harsh as it sounds, this is not everyone over the last two years, but this is what we're seeing in the church in America right now. People squirming, afraid to remain under because it's difficult. And their expectations, that well, it should be so much better. And they're, they're running. John, in fact, just to give you John's theology for the security of a believer, 1 John 2 19 same author says this they went out from us he's speaking about a number of people that left the church and it was really causing a lot of struggle in this church because they were people that were like uniquely tied in and a part of the community and they were leaving and, and so the the church was like what does this mean how can this happen he says they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us they would have persevered they would have finished the race but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us this is to keep true to Jesus saying, All of these are my children. I will not lose one that the Father has given me. So he is giving them a stern warning and saying that you want to know. This is the same idea of the fruit and the vine. You want to know if you're following Jesus, you see fruit in your life. The fruit does not make you a follower of Jesus. The fruit is the outworking of following Jesus. You want to know that you are his, then you will persevere to the end, not because you're strong, but because the working of the Spirit in you will allow you to continue in this. And this is what he's saying. And Jesus is saying, all of this to embolden and strengthen and encourage these 11 disciples that, that you and I are the fruit of their faithfulness to proclaim the gospel. Like, do you think about that? Like, these 11 right here are about ready. to All of them are going to end their life horribly following Jesus. And here we are thousands of years later looking at their words, studying them, and knowing God because of their faithfulness. And he's trying to embolden them and strengthen them. One of the things that I loved doing for a long time when I had a good back and... Was younger was moving people, I loved I loved moving people. It was something really fun. Now if you ask me to help, I'll just give you my truck and say good luck, have fun. But I remember I would I would love moving people, and I remember going to help this friend. And it was like this big thing. There was a couple that I was going to go move, and my, my wife. Love her to death. Had two very little kids, and I was already gone most of the week for work. And then I would go on because everyone always moves on Saturdays, right? So I'd go on Saturdays to to move them, and then be at church all day long on Sunday. So my wife was feeling a bit exacerbated by my schedule. And these friends said they were going to move, and there were supposed to be like ten or fifteen of us that show up. And I pull up, and I'm like, "Huh, there are not many vehicles here. That's weird." Okay, and I kind of go in there and I tell Jen, "Like, I'll just be gone a couple hours, and then I'll be back. Everything will be great." And I remember knocking on the door, and my friend opens the door, and he's like, dude, you won't believe it. And I was like, what? And he's like, this person, this person, this person. Like, all these people couldn't come. So and so might come in a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, well let's get what we can done and go. And then I look, and, and I'm like, hey, where are the boxes? He's like, oh, they're in the garage. Oh, okay, cool. So I got in the garage, and the, the boxes are in the garage, but they were still flat. Like, they weren't open together. And the house looked like they were inviting me over for dinner, not to move them, right? And so I'm like, has that ever happened to you where you've shown up to someone to move? It's like, wait, Wait, when you said move, like you meant me, I got to pack your house? I don't don't pack houses. That's not good. And it was this moment where I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And I've got in my head Jen nagging, which she was not in any way nagging. She was just pleading for me, right? I'm going, "Uh uh-oh. Like I got her voice going, you're going to be here all day, aren't you? And I got my friends looking at me like, you're going to help me, right? And in that moment, I had to make a choice. And it was like, okay, well, if I choose to stay, this is not going to be an hour or two. It's going to be a really long time. And then at any point, like, you know, when you're in the middle of helping someone, when you're like, it's like, this is ridiculous. And you're like, well, see you later. Good luck. You feel really bad. At least I did. If you don't, you just got no heart. I'm just kidding. Um I did it because of people-pleasing, so I was really wrong. Anyways, and so I, I looked at it, and I went, okay, I, I mean, I guess I'm going to help this individual. I'm going to help him do this. I'm going to help him move. And I ended up spending like eight hours, and we didn't even get close to it. We got most of it boxed up, left my truck, and said, you're on your own. I got to figure something else out. Had, went home and, and chose my friends in this moment over my wife and my kids. And money would say, oh, well, that's really good of you. you. You were serving. It's like, yeah, I was, but it was a very unhealthy rhythm and pace that I ran at home at this time. And I would be honest, and this is the scary thing, is that I, I, I counted the cost. So I had that moment when I knocked on the door and they opened, and I realized very quickly, like, oh, this isn't a moving party. This is a boxing party. And, this, <laughs> this is, and they needed to be out by this weekend or else they were going to lose all kinds of money. And, and instead of just being a good friend to them and saying, I can't do this for you, I tried to be their savior, and it was at the effect of my wife and kids. And the reason why I tell you that story is that many of us, I think, so often get in trouble because we expect something drastically different. And then when we're, we're confronted with the fact that it's going to be different than the way it is, we've got to count the cost. We've got to decide, are we going to stay this course or not? And I think that's the biggest issue that many of us have with our faith right now. We've made some profession of faith at some point that we believe is fully true or real, but when it gets hard, we've got to decide, am I, am I in or am I out? And the problem is, is if we don't, from the very beginning, count the cost of what we're going to, we start making the decisions based with wrong metrics. Like, I shouldn't have made that decision. I should have just said, look, I want to help you. I'm sorry. I got to go home to my wife. This is not what I expected. And they would have maybe been mad at me, but I should have made that the right decision. But I counted the cost poorly because I was stuck in a spot where it was not all what I expected. The reason why I bring that up is I think that this is what Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for. He's saying, look, guys, it's going to really stink. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be so difficult. You're going to lose friends and family. You're going to be stabbed in the back a million times, then physically stabbed, and you're going to be beaten. And he's trying to help his disciples count the cost, know up front what they're getting themselves into, and then deciding with resolve, like, this is my God, this is what I'm doing. And it's a really, really good thing. The problem is I just don't think too often. That's what's communicated to us as a church this day. It's, hey, follow Jesus and you'll get fluffy bunnies and joy and happiness and everything will go well and you'll get married exactly when you want to and you'll have exactly how many kids you want to and there'll be little angels all the time and you're a spouse and you'll never fight and we, we start believing this lie that if we just work hard enough, it'll all work out well. When Jesus is very clear from the beginning, it's not going to go well for you because this is not home. This is not where we are meant to be. Jesus tells his disciples early on, this is what many, many of them have left him. He says, he says to them, whoever in, in Luke 14, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now we love to use that bear my cross. And I've said this before. It wasn't some cool euphemism. It meant literally to die to yourself. If you are not willing to die to yourself, and that's not like partially dead or like amani Parthon, like I'm not dead yet, like half dead, no, like fully die to yourself. If you're not willing to fully die to yourself, then you cannot, not can, not maybe, cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on and says, "For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has had has enough to complete it?" Now. There's a really great financial bit of wisdom in there, but that's kind of outside this text. I just encourage you to go there and think about that. But he goes on and says, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And this is why I said there is no prize for starting the race with Jesus. We are to run the race with endurance, laying down all the sins which so easily entangle us, keeping our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. To the end, Jesus is saying, look, you want to be my disciple, you have to recognize like, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to change who you are entirely. The old self will go away. The new self comes. That means you're, you're, you can't just carry into Christianity like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of a jerk, and I like to be a jerk. No, no, the, the, the Spirit will start sanctifying that. Oh, no, no, I'm just really, really impatient. No, 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 the Spirit of God is very patient, and he will have his way with you. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to count the cost. He's trying to get him to count the cost before it's too great and they weren't ready for it. So they don't show up at the door of someone's house not ready to make the answer that they had to make in that moment. He's saying, no, 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 before, before you get beaten and killed and taken out of synagogues in my father's name, even though that's not what they're doing, before that happens, I want you right now to know what you are in for. That way in 2020, when the pandemic that never ends comes, you can stand full in faith knowing who Jesus is, not afraid of anything because perfect love casts out all fear. This is, this is what he's trying to do. them. He's trying to get them to count the cost. See, Jesus knew that hatred is the mark of the world just like love is the mark of a Christian. So if the world loves you, you might be doing something wrong, guys. If the world celebrates you, you might be doing something wrong because the more we look like Jesus, the more likely we can expect the world to treat us like it treated Jesus. If we look like Jesus, we will be treated like Jesus. And, and, and it, look, there are lots of people that wanted to crown Jesus, and I'm not talking about that kind of treatment. It's, it's the treatment that, that divides family. It's the treatment that recognizes that you will lose friendships for, miss out on promotions, choose to, to not drink the way your friends that claim Christ are or that, are, that don't claim Christ are, because you not because you're a pious religious punk, but because you know that the character of God lives in you and it's compelling you to live true to who he says he is. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's saying, the more you look like me, you must expect difficulty. Not hope it doesn't happen. Not run from it. Remain under. Because why? First Peter, and and here's the thing, whenever you go to Peter text, and this is really important because we're gonna talk about Peter and his denial of Christ, which is really powerful when you think about this is what he writes later in his life. But, But take that in. This is the Peter that like, you know, speaks before thinking that we get all over in the gospels, the Peter that makes all kinds of mistakes. So when you, when you come to his text, this is the same Peter that traditionally we hear. He doesn't allow himself to be crucified right side up because he doesn't want to be crucified like his Christ. He goes upside down. This Peter, he pens this, he says, beloved first Peter four, 12 through 16, beloved, don't be surprised, man. I feel like we were, we're always surprised. I'm always surprised by difficulty. What's happening? How come sinfulness is still in my life? How come sinfulness is in someone else's life? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I'm telling you that verse right there, we should just rewind tonight 2019 in January and just like read it on repeat. Like, don't be surprised. But what? Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying, look, rejoice. If you suffer, rejoice. And then this is a really interesting caveat because he gives this in here. He says, but let none of you suffer as murderers. So he starts with beloved, speaking to his believers. Let none of you suffer as murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So. There's legitimate concern that we might suffer because of our own evil doing at times. And let me just be really clear. Some of you right now, the the, the issue in your life isn't because God is punishing you for evilness. The issue is just your sinfulness. Like your, Your suffering is your sinfulness. We see this. And just because you've repented of that sinfulness doesn't mean that there aren't lasting consequences to it. And just because there are lasting consequences doesn't mean that God's grace isn't sufficient for you. But some of us, the reason why we suffer is because of our own sinfulness. What Peter's saying here, he's like, hey, don't be surprised when other sinfulness in this world, you start suffering. When fiery trials come on you, really, really difficult things happen to you as if something strange were happening. You're not of this world. Square peg, round hole. This is not home. Home for you is his second coming. Home for you is the new heavens and the new earth. That's what you are made for. That's the, cu- the cloth you are cut from. That's the new self that Jesus has put on you. That is, has, his righteousness is on you in that way. That's who is holding you into the throne room of God. That's what you are. So he says, if you suffer then, suffer like Jesus. How does Jesus tell us to suffer? James, the brother Jesus says it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, these various kinds of trials that are external, not ones that you brought to yourself. So this is like things happening to you. Example would be like a pandemic happening to you, okay? Um, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So our our suffering is, is producing steadfastness. Which will have its full effect of completing what, what the author began in us, our faith. Luke six twenty two says it this way: "Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, on account of Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets." I'd love to see someone get reviled like this and just start jumping like woohoo! Like I, I'm sorry, that's how I see that. Anyways, what is the point he's making? The point he's making is that when we share in Christ's suffering, there's a reward great in heaven. Now, here's the problem with this. Now, I will admit that I have done a lot of parenting where it's like, if you do this, I'll give you this. Like, I love Christmas because it gives them something new that I can withhold from them if they're being naughty. Say, like, (laughs) Anyways, I understand I'm I'm causing some problems with that. I have to really help them understand grace and, and work around that. But what is Jesus saying right here? Jesus is telling us that when we are persecuted, when we are reviled against and hated and excluded and spurned, isn't that fun? Like when that happens to us, rejoice. Why? Because the reward is in heaven. And now here's the problem with that statement. If we aren't rejoicing in suffering, then, then, then one of two problems, and there's probably others that have shown up. One is we believe that Jesus is a liar because there, there isn't there. Or two is we, for some reason, think that our God doesn't know how to reward us as his children and that the reward is just not worth it. So he's saying rejoice. Why? Because there's a reward in you. There's there's a joy that transcends any happiness you would have gotten over the holidays for whatever gifts you did or didn't get. There's a joy that comes from him. And he's like, and just like their fathers did it to the prophets, they're gonna do it to you. So guys, we shouldn't be surprised when people hate us because of Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised when we miss out on things of this world because we have chosen to submit ourselves to the King." of our kingdom. We shouldn't be surprised by this. This does not give us permission to be a jerk. Like some of you are like, yes, I can finally be hated by people. No, that's not, like that's another issue altogether, okay? Like we don't get to just be punks to be hated. We're hated not because we're pious religious Pharisees. We're hated because we claim and look and bear the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus kind of ruins that one for us too. He says, bless those who curse you in in Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Jesus says when they curse you, bless them. When they abuse you, pray for them. See, we don't get to just sit in some pious religious position and say, I can just be a jerk because I love Jesus. No. In fact, even when they do this for us in the name of Jesus, we start praying for them. He goes on and says it this way in Matthew five sixteen. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a way with which you and I can live our lives. And they don't go, wow, look at Pren. They go, whoa, who is this Jesus? They go, man, that, that doesn't make sense. Why would he Why would he make those choices? I gotta know this God that he follows. So there's a command for us to live our lives in such a way that even the world that hates us will be enticed by the gospel. We'll see the good news of Jesus. There's a way that we can live our lives so counter to the world that we're a part of that they'll say, I wanna be a part of this kingdom. You know, every church pastor, planning pastor like, I want to be an Acts 2 church, but no one really wants to put the work into it because it's really hard. But what was happening there, people literally were seeing the way they were treating each other and going, I want in on that. That's different. This will have everyday implications in your life if you live this way. If this is true, if we're, if we're to be encouraged by Jesus saying, hey, don't worry, people will hate you because they hated me first. And they hate you because of me, actually, not you. They hate you because of my name, which is the entirety of who I am. This is why they hate you. This will have present day implications. This will affect the way you live your life. You will lose friendships because they won't be comfortable sitting around you because you just honoring God will convict them of their evil without saying a single word. You will see people run from you and exclude you at work because you won't do the same banter that is not wholesome. You will see your finances in a totally different way if you live like this because you'll realize that nothing in this world will be brought with money, that money is only for his kingdom purposes. Your time will be drastically different because you'll understand that the time you have is his to be used for his good works that he created beforehand so that people can see him and go look at that father who's in heaven and give him glory. This will have everyday implications. You'll lose popularity. You, kids, youth, if you're high school students or college students, you will lose friendships over this there will come a moment where you have a choice to say, am I going to follow you, Jesus, or am I going to follow the world? And here, here's the thing that I think is so important for us to understand. Right, right now, and like I said, many of us will probably rarely have the opportunity to say, I will choose Christ at the expense of my physical life right now. But, but all of these individuals that Jesus is trying to shore up and encourage at this moment, his friends saying, this is going to happen. Now, how foolish of us To run from a God who is as good as he is, has done as much as he has, because we'd rather be accepted by a person in our class or in our work. How foolish of us to contradict God's word to try and win someone over because we're just lonely. We want a relationship. This will have everyday implications, guys. Like our lives will look drastically different. and, And I promise you this, it will be exceptionally harder and we spend most of our lives trying to mitigate pain. And, and James says, no, 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 remain under because it's producing something so much greater. Don't run. Don't squirm out. There are no brownie points for starting the race. We must finish. We should expect persecution. We should expect to be hated. First Peter again says it this way in 1, 6-7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, because let's be honest, as long as your life feels, as long as your struggle feels, it is all but a vapor in comparison to the kingdom of God. So for a little while, your life will be hard. You might have to deal with this pandemic for another 10 years. That's still a little while. Just a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Grieved, disheartened, like violently disheartened. Is that word? Like violently. So this is not, not like some small trial, like, oh, I chipped a nail. Like this is like Like, this is a really big, big trial. He says, so that what? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So these trials you're experiencing, these difficulties you're experiencing, they're normal. You're only experiencing because Jesus did. And a servant is not greater than their master. These trials you're experiencing, they're there. Maybe we should spend less time trying to mitigate pain. You don't don't have to rush out to pick a fight. But what would it look like for us if our lives were less comfortable for the gospel? What would it look like for us to live in a way where people we deeply care about will hate us because of our allegiance to Jesus? About 15 years ago, I had a friend, a family member, a really close family member, write to me. He was very upset at me for a choice I made to do something for a church I was at. And he said, I remember, he said, I hate you and I want nothing to do with you because you chose your God over me. And that hurts to hear. That hurts. Praise Jesus that that relationship is restored. He's done much there. But guys, if we're not hearing that at all, it's sad that in my life, I have to go 12 years, 15 years to hear that story. We don't fit in here. This is not home. Stop trying to make it home. Live your life in a way that is not full of conflict because you just like conflict, but it's going to be conflicting for many because they have to face the truth that comes in Jesus Christ in your life or the world which promises a fake comfort. Live your lives that way. Refuse to operate at work suspiciously like other people have. Refuse to, to make yourself elevate and be better than someone else because that's what the world's doing. No, refuse it. And live your life faithful to the King whom you declare you serve. Faithful to the one whom you say you follow. And know that even when it gets absolutely painfully difficult, the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in the next couple weeks, He's with you. And He's walking you through all of it. Count the cost. Following Jesus does not promise a fluffy, bunny, easy go-around. In fact, it actually promises the exact opposite. So don't be surprised. Don't squirm out. Don't run. Sit and say, Lord, see me through this. Because why? Because we can trust him. He's worthy of it all. We just celebrated Jesus' incarnation like proof that God was not going to leave us alone. Let that gospel compel you to live in a way that is contrary to the world that we are just stuck in until he comes again, all the while pleading God on earth as it is in heaven. Kyle's gonna come up. And we're going to sing. And in a moment, we're going to take communion. So I would encourage you during this next song, if you're ready, to to go grab your elements, and we'll come back up here and lead you through communion. If you need prayer, you're like, man, I am, I have not done well. I have squirmed out my finances or relationships. Or I've, I've totally sidestepped God's commands to try and move myself forward in this world, or I, I'm experiencing difficulty right now, but I think it's because of my own sinfulness and I need to repent. Any of those things, the people that stand back in the prayer room, love Jesus and are willing to walk with you through that, not just in a moment of prayer, but through on. So I would encourage you, get prayer. And if you're sitting here today going, man, I have, I believe the lie that, that following Jesus was supposed to be comfortable, then repent of it and say, Jesus, wherever you take me, discomfort comes, I'm okay with, because I know I'd rather not be comfortable in the presence of you than comfortable in the world apart from you. We pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, reminding me of just how frail at times my faith may seem but also at the same time reminding me that my faith is not secured by me but you and so there is no frailty to it and so God I pray that you would give me the strength to to walk out in faith what means making choices watching friends leave watching um, opportunities in this world go away because I choose to be faithful to you and for those that are here today that profess your name God I pray um, if they are weary and, and tired um, because of the challenges. I pray that they would do what you command us to do, to press into you and to community so that we as a church can carry one another's burdens together. God, for those that have outright disowned you like Peter did. God, for those that have just like squirmed out, it got too hard and they gave up the fight and they're just going through the motions. God, I pray that you'd wreak havoc with their hearts. Show them that they're never too far from you, that your love never changes for them based on what we do or don't do. They're yours, they're yours forever and you will never lose them. And so I pray that they come back knowing that you don't stand on the porch with your arms crossed. Instead, you run out with your arms open saying, come back to me. And Father, for the individuals that are hearing this today, that are that are trying to make up their holiness by doing things instead of surrendering their life to you, God, I just pray, wreck their hearts. Help them to see that there is no religion they can do to be right before you. There is no not surrendering to you and being right with God. There is no not loving Jesus and standing in the throne room of God. It only comes through Jesus. We thank you for um, hardship because we know that we get to share in the sufferings of our King and our Lord and our Savior. We pray in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen.